Hi, this is Diane Franklin, and I'm here reliving my youth with Noel Fogelman. Welcome to Reliving My Youth, the show where we look back at pop culture from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. My name is Noah Fogelman. She Broke Your Heart as Karen in The Last American Virgin. She Surprised You as Monique in Better Off Dead. My guest this week is the very talented Diana Franklin. Diane's a fixture of the 80s. She was in the cult classic Terrorvision, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Amityville 2, How I Got Into College, She's currently on the convention circuit, and she's also written two books. I'm reading her first one right now called Diane Franklin, The Excellent Adventures of the Last American French Exchange Babe of the 80s. Whew. We get into the books. We get into her current projects. One of them is Amityville Murders, which is interesting because she was in Amityville too. And here is Diane. And helping me relive my youth today is Diane Franklin. Diane, how are you? Bonjour, Noel. This is Diane, and I am thrilled to be on your show. Okay. I'm thrilled to have you, and I really got a bone to pick with you. Uh, okay. All right. 35. Yeah, get, here we go. Get ready. Uh, all right. The, <laughs> you know where probably where this is going. 35 years ago. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. It's 35 years ago already. Poor, That's poor Gary. I mean, come on. Poor, poor Gary. Yep. You know, he's crying. He's probably still driving somewhere, listening to just once on an endless loop. <laughs> you broke the guy's heart. <laughs> you know, um, and I will say this too. Boy, when you have a bad first relationship, when it's your first relationship, that's difficult. Boy, that can last, you know, a lifetime. It's a big deal. And I know, I mean, certainly when you're saying this, I mean, I know guys who've been last American Virgin and they like, I'm young and, like, 
if you're nice to me, okay, then I'll be nice to you. Like, oh, and you're nice, then I'll be nice to you. And so there's no, like, there's, there was no backbone to Karen. And when I played her, it was like, but the thing I did remember was, I remember I wanted to play her, like, you didn't see it coming. And I, and I wanted to play her, you know, as a genuine person, but she just was nice to who was in front of her. And I didn't realize it, but it made it worse. <laughs> it made it worse. Because years later, like when I've seen it, I guess, I don't know, it's a couple of years ago again, um, on the big screen, and I saw it, even I thought that my own self was a biatch, seriously. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, that was so horrible. Because you do not see it coming. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, you know, because he goes into the party, you know, it's dance music, and then the music just cuts like that to, you know, uh, just once, and just a heartbreak on his face. That? How brilliant was that, the, the music? It was, and yeah. Just, I mean, all I can say is that there was a, the film, you know, when you think about, like, a sex comedy, and, you know, you try to fluff off the film, you can't fluff this film off. No, it you can't. Not, you can't just say, oh, that's just some kind of sexy teenage, you know, um, gratuitous nudity and all that. It, I mean, it's not that it doesn't have its share of it, but at the same time, it, it, it deeply affects you when you watch it. And I, I really think it was like a sex education guy uh, film. You know, like I really do think that it educates guys in sex and love. And so you, as a man, walk away, or a young boy, and you're like, is that even possible? Like, how does that happen? Like, I'm not told that that's... I thought the good guy always gets the girl. Like, what's up with that? And it's because it was a European ending. It was a, you know, Israeli director and Israeli um, story. You know, they want to tell the truth, and that's just, you know, sort of a, it, it's not like what we consider the American happy ending. And so I think that movie threw people on a lot of different levels because they thought there were guys would come in. They thought they were going to see a sex film. They thought they were going to see, um, uh, you know, a... Um, or a teen, teen sex film, where they thought they were going to, you know, see a happy ending, and there was just all this kind of preconceived, resolved kind of, this is what it's going to be like, and, oh, this isn't going to be like anything that sticks to me. And they leave feeling like, oh, my God, this is going to stay with me for, you know, <laughs> for the rest of my life. And I just have one thing to say to all you people who love Virgin um, or who had that feeling at the end, I'm sorry. <laughs> I made a mistake, and I was wrong. Okay? Right. Yeah. Because well, I understand, I get it, you know. Yeah, we all know it, it wasn't you; it was Karen with a K. But yeah. the, the the way you played that final scene was just brilliant because you couldn't read your emotion. Like you didn't know if you were like you know guilt, if you felt guilty, or you're just like you know screw him. I'm with you know yeah. Rick now. You just you, you played it beautifully, and it's just you know you know, goes you. to you're very welcome just go show you the type really, of actors I appreciate that that was a really special moment I, I definitely um, I actually had um, a relationship that meant so much to me uh, my first boyfriend and um, my first true love and I when I did that moment I was thinking about him and when we had to break up because that was a really hard mo you know moment for me and it wasn't because I didn't love him it was because it was, we were just, you know, very early in our life. You know, we were very young, and so, you know, I didn't want to get that serious so young. And it's very painful. I think that is, you know, sometimes, like, in a way, you know, if someone is cheats on you or whatever, in a way, sometimes that's, it's easier. But if when you're young, it's so hard to break up with somebody just because you're too young. You're like, what do you do, you know? I don't know. It's, it's, love is hard, you know? It just isn't easy. So, 
Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I've been my wife for painful. There you go. Long time now. It's but like, you know, yeah. But yeah, it's but it's like it's been 35 years since it came out. Um, has like a but we still love it. We still yeah. love you know the film. Like you, you still think about it, right? It's uh, it's still a cool film. Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? It really annoys me that it just they don't show it enough. It's like oh, it's, that's it's interesting. It's hard because you know, it's not like I tried streaming some of your movies and like mm-hmm. that's it's impossible. Like well, we'll yeah, and we'll get into them, but like. I couldn't find that. I mean, I, I have, like, a copy of, of the DVD that's, like, buried away in boxes, but it's never mm-hmm. on cable. It's, like I said, it doesn't stream. And it's, like, it used to be on TBS, like, probably twice a month. And that's, like, the, uh, yeah, and, you know, HBO. Was, HBO was the first time I saw it. And, uh, you know, it was just, like, whoa. You know, it, wow. it, it, you know, it really stuck with me. But, you know, you should, you should definitely write a letter to these companies, Netflix, you know, Hulu, yeah. Amazon. You know, get your movies back on there. <laughs> Thank you. You know, there's a couple of things. One is um, Virgin. I know Virgin played just last year at Lincoln Center. Oh wow! Believe this? I was like, what? Lincoln Center playing Virgin, which was such a gift. Like it's a. I guess it's um. It's considered now a. Uh, it's it's a cult classic, but it's a um. A what do you call it? A time capsule of the '80s. You know, everything yeah. '80s with uh, you know the, the look, the music, but also the subject matter. Um, and I don't know, you know, they might be, sometimes companies hold on to films and right. they pull them back because they start, you know, when they, they hold out until, you know, like there might be, I know Brett Ratner has the, um, the rights, or at least he did have the rights to making uh, a sequel or, okay. or a remake of it. Right. Uh, not a sequel, but a remake. So, I mean, sometimes people pull these films, they hold them, and then they release them again. But hold on to that copy. If you've got a copy of Last American Virgin, hold on to it. Bring it to a convention. And I'll sign it for you. Oh, definitely. Super cool. Yeah, that, that, that'd be awesome. But, you know, there hasn't been, really been, like, a, a good teen, like, movie probably since American Pie, and that's been almost 20 years ago now. Yeah, I loved American Pie. That was a great movie. Yeah, it, it absolutely was. But it's just, like, and I don't even think uh, Virgin can be made now. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I always think, like, they could use the Internet, and, you know, you just up it. Because every... Every generation has their virgin experience, you know, like they're, they go through learning about all, you know, you know, sexual experiences. And I mean, I think that somebody could make it if they, because everyone repeats that, you know, it's just that we now have a contemporary version of it. And um, uh, that's not to say, you know, that it's not without controversy, but, um, but I don't know, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Who knows if, if anyone will ever if there'll be another Karen someday. Right. You never know. And that was your first, uh, like, leading role in a film, correct? Yeah. Yeah, what happened was I, I had done modeling and commercials and uh, a soap opera. I was recurring on a soap opera as the world turns. That was actually my first bigger role, big role, you know, speaking role aside from commercials. And, um, and so when I got Virgin, that was a huge deal. I mean, it, it was going from nothing to being a lead. And I actually wrote about it in my books. Um, but part of that, like, I wrote two books, and the second book focuses on Virgin, mostly the excellent curls of the last American French exchange babe of the 80s. But just look up Diane Franklin's book on the Internet, and you'll find it, um, or books. But my second book, which I came out with this year, I did because I actually was the first girl with curly hair in the 80s. I kick-started all that, all those perms. I'm sorry again. <laughs> I keep apologizing on your, on your uh, podcast. I'm sorry, people, that you have to go get perms. Uh, <laughs> but for 
years before, I was straightening my hair. So, um, yeah, that, that curly hair, um, all of a sudden, I was getting lead after lead after lead. And then it, it kick-started all, like, flash dance and, um, that, you know, like the dirty dancing, like that look. Um, suddenly there was more of an ethnic look. You know, people embraced it more. And um, I think, you know, certainly it kick-started and it was okay to be different in the 80s and uh, even with the Cindy Lauper hair. So um, I think I, it just came around at the right times, early 80s, and the timing of my career kicked in. Because I've been acting probably, you know, acting in whatever, going for auditions probably like eight years before. So it only took eight years for me to be discovered, Billy. Just, just eight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, it's, I mean, because you had, like, a really distinct look, and I think it really helped you, like, stand out in, like, you know, in the 80s. And and it's supposed so funny because um, before that, you know, I was trying to hide my look, you know, straightening my hair, trying to look like everybody else. And I think that is something that's important for people to understand that, you know, embrace what you look like. And today maybe that's not as big a deal, but then it was. Because you would not walk out with curly hair. I mean, in New York, it was a nightmare when it got humid. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't go out like this. I can't. I mean, girls would freak out in the 70s if they were going out with, you know, anything but straight hair. Marsha Brady ruled, you know. Yeah, right. uh, And I love Marsha Brady. I love, I mean, believe me, all every actress has something to, you know, bring. They bring to the table and they bring to our culture. Um so I think, you know, entertainment does. And so we all have gifts. And I hope all those actresses out there who are in film and television who have that much exposure um, and theater also realize that, you know, you're affecting the people and the, and the world around you, and you do make a difference, you know. So anyway, on to the next. Let's talk about... Yeah, and then someone who made a difference, like, early in your career was Brooke Shields, correct? Yes. She influenced my, she, she was what kick-started my career. She, with her dark eyebrows and dark hair, when she came on the scene, um, and she was like, she, I actually worked with her. I did modeling with her, and then I was an extra in Endless Love, which was really fun. It was mm-hmm. when I didn't have any speaking parts, but I watched her. Um, but that was like 70s. She brought in, I'd say probably, Early, mid early 70s she brought in those dark eyebrows and all of a sudden casting directors all over were saying we need girls with dark hair and dark eyebrows they all wanted Brooke Shields lookalike and so so many of us actresses who had that look started auditioning and booking and we got opportunities so I remember like Catherine Mary Stewart uh, Lori Loughlin uh, even Elizabeth Shue she had not really dark hair but like she had thick eyebrows um I'm trying to think who else. Well, Demi Moore. Right. Um, you know, uh, gosh, maybe even Ali, Ali Sheedy a, a little bit. Um, Lizanne Falk, who's blonde, but she had dark, you know, she had kind of thick eyebrows. That just became an in look. And so we all got opportunities to work. Whereas before, it was like Christy McNichol or Tatum O'Neill. We're talking about actresses who were tomboy, but the look was more like you needed to look like a kid. Not like a, um, I don't know, just it, the Brooke Shields kind of modely look or something. I don't know. It's just different. Right, right. Um, now, were there any, like, roles early on that you, like, actually turned down? Early on, 
Um, you know what? There was one role that, uh, I mean, there's a couple of things, but there was one role in particular that I turned down, and it was, I think, a mistake. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I really just, I just was, I just couldn't do it. And that was um, a movie, it was a, a short based on a book that was a very well-received and, and popular book, and Laura Dern wound up getting the role. Laura Dern, of all people. Like, we looked nothing alike. Right. Um, I, I forgot the name of the project, but it was with Treat Williams, mm. and I think it was like, Where Are You Going and What Are You Doing? Or something was the book, something something like that, or Where Are You Going? It was like a 60s book, and then they made it into a movie, and it's, it, I mean, it was about a... A guy comes to a town and he sees this innocent young girl and sort of a coming of age for her. And I just was in a place in my career where I was like, I just can't play any more of these young, innocent and just completely like clueless girls. I just got to my, I, like I wanted to do terror vision. Do you know what I mean? Like I wanted to do something, or Monique, you know, I don't even know where it kind of fell in, but it was just like I want to play characters that are, either intelligent or have some, you know, energy or are just interesting to me. And um, I didn't want to play the victim. But in this particular uh, film, that was that's what kicked off Laura Dern's career. I mean, it really made her, put her on the map, and it was, you know, highly acclaimed. And um, I think she did a, you know, a beautiful job. I eventually saw it at... Um, and I really believe that when an actress takes on a role, it's like if that has meaning to you and you can make it rock and you, like, connect with yourself and make it great, then that's why it's wonderful. I mean, it may not have been as wonderful if I had done it and my heart wasn't into it. So, um, you know, that's why I think every, you know, every time you do something, you want to put yourself in it um, because that's what makes it special. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually looking on uh, Tree Williams' IMDb page right now. Was yeah. It- yeah. Was it why? Treat yeah. Fine. Was it a why would I lie? No, I don't think so. Hmm. I don't think yeah. All right, we'll we'll check it out later. Okay. So, uh, really, it's, really, but it is definitely it was a it was like a critically acclaimed um, something like where are you going? I don't know whether I thought the going was in the title, but right. Okay. Or, that, or that was then, this is, now, I don't know, maybe I'm somewhere, somewhere. It was definitely a sort of a, 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 a not a commercial film. It wasn't commercial success, but it was an artistic success. Right. All right. I, I just found out that Treat Williams was in uh, Empire Strikes Back. Okay, that's interesting. <gasps> wow, yeah. nice. Wow, okay. And is that fun? Yeah, it's a, that's, that website's amazing. <laughs> and right now, some people at the audience are going, who's Treat Williams? Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs>
you know, on the cake. I mean, I, I seriously am so honored and lucky to be able to be given another opportunity to, um, to bring back uh, some great 80s memories to people. So. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you, you take time off just to raise a family? Yes, I did. I wanted to raise my own kids. And I tell you something, it pays off. <laughs> it pays off to raise your own kids, to be there for them. Because now, I mean, I'm acting, and it's, it's gravy, but, I mean, not only is it that my kids are great kids and I got to know them, you know, like I think you... You can't get to know your kids unless you spend time with them, you know? And You're absolutely right. I, you know, and also, like, I was just thinking about this, how there's the, how I was seeing, like, life with, like, these windows of opportunity. And when you are in one window, it's like, be in the window, look out the window, stay there. Don't, like, look out another window, you know? It's like, you're, the next window will come, and you won't even be able to be in control of it. It's like there's this time where you spend time with your kids. Then there's times where they're going to be off doing their own thing. So I really, you know, when I decided to have kids with my husband, it was like, I want to be home. And so we sacrificed, I think, financially, but at the same time, you know, certainly, obviously, acting-wise, um, I didn't want to be traveling. And that's when I started teaching acting because I wanted to be around. And I would bring my kids with me when I taught. Um, but I, I just adored it. And then it's just so funny because um, when they were really little, you know, you always know that when your mother is an actress, like you or an actor, your father's an actor, you know, you know that at a certain point those kids are going to want to be actors. It's just kids want to try what their dads or their parents do. Maybe not if you're an accountant, I don't know. Right. But if you're an actress, it comes up. So when they were young, I was like, okay, like I wanted to be an actress. That was my dream. It came my parents were German immigrants. There was nothing in our lives that we had no connections. There was, it was just all me, all me wanting to do it. But for them, I thought, I'd like to expose them to it because I want them to know that I didn't keep them from it. But at the same time, that, this is my, what suits me. So when they were young, they started, um, they did some acting. Um, I just asked my daughter originally if she, wants, she was interested. In, she had like a photographic memory, and so she started auditioning. She got acting roles, and she actually worked with uh, Julie Andrews on this little, like, film, which wound up having David Ogden Steyer in it. Oh, wow. Exactly, yeah. crazy, because David Ogden Steyer did the voiceover in it and never knew he was in the same film as my daughter. Oh, that's but too I funny. Knew. And, and Julie Andrews, it's called The Cat That Looked at the King. And so if you go on YouTube, you can find it. Maybe it was like seven. And I was just sitting there going, I cannot, I mean, I had a mom going, how does she know how to act? She's never seen me act, you know, like she's, she maybe, she didn't really see things I was in, but she just, I guess from teaching and like being around it, she just was so natural. And, uh, but she wants to be a filmmaker and my son did some acting, but he had bright red hair or he still has red hair. So he would get work and then, but his thing is music. So, um, Anyway, but it was just such a fun, we had, they had the best childhood, and my, our family had, like, a great time in that, in that particular window, you know? So now I go, okay, now my son's in college, my daughter's in college, so now it's like, okay, this is a new window. <laughs> this is a new window, so we'll see. Yeah, it's, it's definitely your time now, but uh, mm. when did you, like, first, like, show your kids, like, your work? Um, that's a good question. I had a funny story. My son, um, I think the first 
time. Although I, I know, I know um, there was one ski trip where I, that's, a ski trip is when I showed, first showed the Better Off Dead. Right. And I think they were like around 10 or 12, or 10 or 11, around that age. Um, that's when I showed the Better Off Dead. Oh, yeah, okay. So I showed them Better Off Dead, and we were on ski vacation. Uh, we were, and so I showed them the film. And then afterwards, my, we were, I was on a hill with my son, and um, he turns to me and he says, okay, Mom, uh, I'm going to take this, like, he was like a little speed demon, you know, and you're like, you don't have your poles, but you're just your skis, and you're right. maybe, I don't know, like six or something or seven. He's like, okay, I'm going to go that way really fast. If something gets in my way, I'm going to turn, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, perfect. Thanks, Nick, right? Good, good note. Good to know that. And the, like, chased after him uh, really fast because he did go really fast. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that was the first time that they had seen me in a film. And I was very shy about it. I was like, you know, oh, you know, yeah, I'm in this, but isn't that, you know, Paperboy funny? And, oh, look at that. So it was really taking it off me and going more about the film because I'm always mom. Like, I'll be mom to them. They don't care, you know, about the movies. You know, they want me to be mom, which they should. So, uh, but I, I was, but I do love the film. I love Better Off Dead. So I was really proud to show that. Yeah, it's, it's a tremendous movie. It's, I mean, it has something for everybody in, in that movie. It's, uh, I mean, the acting, I mean, everything in that movie is just, like, just perfect. I know, you know, John Cusack has had his issues with it, but hopefully he'll uh, kind of come to uh, appreciate it. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, I, I would have to say that, you know, it, it, at first I was, I mean, I think like everyone, we were all, everyone's shocked that he didn't just love this movie. Um, but, you know, obviously his personal experience when he had to do it, you know, he was younger too. Sometimes, you know, you sit in a situation and you're like, maybe you don't have people been honest with you. And, you know, obviously he has his own personal reasons, but I, I want to do a sequence better off dead with him. So I wanted to get over it. <laughs> exactly. Like, come on, John, stop it. Just get over this so we can just do a great film together, you know, have fun and make it a, you know, a fun experience. Because truly, honestly, that film is, it has a wonderful love story, and I, I I know that it inspires people. When you see two people falling in love in a film, it makes you feel loving. And I, I can't tell you, so many people have said, oh, I, that was the film that I, you know, my first film I took my girlfriend to, or now who's now my wife, you know. We watch that film every year. Um, that's our, you know, international language of love. So, you know, so uh, yeah. yeah so it's lovely. Yeah. It had a great message, too. Yeah, um, it totally did. Um, are you actually uh, surprised, uh, Ricky, you know, or actually Dan Schneider, is now, like, running, you know, Nickelodeon with Empire shows? <laughs> oh, my gosh, yes. In fact, I actually have been in contact. I need to go see Dan. I, I said, I'm going to go visit you. Um, so we still have a go see, like, we still have a date plan where we're going to get together and meet. Because he's been so busy um, doing his, I guess he's running the Nickelodeon show one right now, Dane. Uh, yeah, uh, Henry Danger, yeah. Henry Danger, right. And um, But I definitely want to see him. I want to get together with him because he is so nice and he's so funny. He's brilliant in the, in the film, brilliant. And he just made me cry laugh, you know. <laughs> so, but this November, I'm 
going to be seeing um, the other cast members of um, Better Off Dead, which is Amanda Wiss and Curtis Armstrong. And we are actually going to be going to an 80s event in the Dominican Republic. Uh, it's like an 80s weekend called um, 80s in the Sand. And so um, I'm very excited because I actually got them in on And so it's sort of like a Better Off Dead reunion. And we're even trying to see if we can get E.G. Daly to go. So I don't know if that's going to happen, but um, it, it would be amazing. Oh, and then Howard Jones, who did the music to Better Off Dead, he's going to be there. So because there's going to be all these 80s fans. Yeah, it's, so it's going to be amazing. If you're going, my gosh, it's, it's going to be great. And if you're, if you're not going, we'll find out how to go because it's not that expensive. And it's, um, I think, from the, 8th, the 11th to the 18th of November, a week in the Dominican Republic. And yeah. it's going to be great food beautiful and 80s right yeah i would love to do that. it's so funny because I, I know right on on my way home from, yeah on my way home from work i was listening to 80s on eight on you know on satellite radio and they they were talking about it you know they mentioned oh, wow. all, they mentioned all the djs that can be there all the musicians it's like every band you can possibly think of in the 80s and musicians yeah, right? and yeah i wish i could really go because i absolutely love howard jones <laughs> I'm definitely jealous. <laughs> okay. Aww, I'll, I'll take for pictures and then, yeah, well, I'll try to, you know, videotape things and send them to people. It'll be nice. Yeah, absolutely. I'll definitely have to have you on but again we'll to, to do talk. another one, another time. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But yeah, that, that like that movie, it just like like resonates. I watched it again last week. It's just like it's like one you you pick and you watch it over and over again. Second week in November. In Lake Tahoe, um, the following weekend, on the weekend of the 28th of September to October 1st, in Lake Tahoe, for sci fi convention there. So I guess it's called sci fi convention. And then I'm going to be in upstate New York at an AuthorCon convention in October. It's called AuthorCon. And where else? And then there's one other place. Uh, oh, I'm going to be in Oregon in. Um, this place, they're doing a, they do this get-together on Halloween. It's going to be their Halloween weekend. Uh, it's called Halloween Town, and I guess they're going to do this memorial to Debbie Reynolds because she originally was in the uh, the film. Okay. And so it's so sad. So it's like crazy that this is the year that they're doing this. That it couldn't just, you know, been a, another year where she was there. But, right. Um, um, but I'm going to be there also uh, for their celebration. They invited me as a guest be there, uh, which is really, really nice of them because there's no one other, no other actors going up except for me and the cast of this film, Halloween Town. So, hope to see you there in Oregon. That'd be really fun. Yeah. So, how um, how did you get involved in like these conventions? You know, that's a good question. I actually have 
originally what happened was I was walking around. Uh, this is like I was walking around and to like you know these nostalgia shops. Like they have like you know old video videos and car you know photographs and uh, records and. I walked into this store, and there was a guy who was running it, and I said, do you guys ever, you know, sell photographs, or did you, you know, you ever have, like, signings? And I was just, at the time, like, wondering if they wanted any of my paraphernalia, uh, right. memorabilia. And he said, well, no, he said, <laughs> the guy said to me, no, the only time we, we care about that is when somebody's dead, when you're dead. So <laughs> if you're dead, you got to come back. I'm like, oh, great. Okay. Right. And he said, but he said, my son, actually, is a uh, an actor and he does these things these conventions and I said oh really you know what's his name and she said his name is Scotty Schwartz and so he was he said oh he's the kid who had his tongue stuck to a pole in Christmas Story so I said oh okay so he gave me his Scotty's number and I called him and I said I'm definitely interested I don't know anything about it so I started with a show called the Hollywood Show and that was in Los Angeles. And then that was more of like a collector's show. But truly, my whole thing was, like, I I didn't think, who even remembers me? Like, is this even a thing? But people did. And that's actually what got me to write my books because I, I really thought, well, you know, nobody really knows. When I know when I did my, had my career, I did not do publicity purposely because you just, you didn't, you always wanted the story to take the focus, not you. I mean, certainly in the 80s, there was no internet and no phones. So there was that kind of knowledge and that kind of information was very private. And you also wanted people to believe in the stories and not know you for who you were. You didn't want people to know who you dated. It wasn't. It was just not what people were focused on. So I didn't have publicity, so no one would have known my name. They might have known my face. They might have known the role, but they didn't know who I was. So I really didn't have a lot of confidence in that I was going to, you know, it was going to, anything was going to happen. But what happened was then um, I thought, and then even with my kids, I thought, all right, well, I'm mom. They are not really going to, they don't really care about these, you know, old photos or whatever I have, things. So I thought, well, maybe I'll make it into a book. And I brought it to one of the conventions I went to next. I made these, like, self-made books, like, there's, like, a hundred of them out there, like, only a hundred. And, uh, I handmade them, and they were like silver, uh, hard-bound, uh, 8x10 books, and people bought them. It was gone. It was completely, they were like, they disappeared. So that's when I decided I was going to get into publishing, like publish, self-publish my books, because I knew that people would buy them, and also that I realized that the information that I'm passing on is like history, because it's, it's true, and it's uh, based on reality, and I mean, a lot of people... When you go to a publisher, you know, they may own, they may say to you, we just want this certain angle from what you're saying. Like, we just want you to talk about, you know, this film or, uh, you know, don't talk about that. And to me, I, I felt like I want everything to be as I remembered it. I want it to be as truthful as I can. And I had gone to college, so I was thinking, you're always looking for that primary source. You know, how do you know something's true? It's like the first, you don't want it to be hearsay from one person to the next. So I thought, I want to write a book. Where I'm saying all the truth, like I know what happened and I've experienced it, and this is it, you know. And it's not my job to decide how 
I feel about it. It's your job as a reader to read it all and then you come to your own conclusion. Like you said, you were reading my book. When you're done with it, you know, you'll say, oh, okay, well, this is the kind of person she is, this or experiences, and you'll have your own, you know, take on it. So, but it was, so that's what got me starting to write. And uh, it, I'm very excited because I love my books, and, and I love them because they bring back great memories. They're truthful. Um, I, I embrace my experience as an actress, and I loved all the people I, I wound up, you know, working with throughout the years. Um, I had a positive experience back then. You can't say that. A lot of people can't say that. So, um, And I got great directors to write my foreword, which was awesome. Savage Steve Holland wrote my foreword for my first book. And um, Brett Ratner, a uh, lovely man that he is, wrote the most beautiful uh, foreword for me for my second book. So uh, who knows? It'll be my third book. But <laughs> Uh, incredibly awesome. Really lucky. Yeah, the Excellent Adventures of the Last American French Exchange Babe of the 80s. That's the one I'm reading right now. Right. And the second one um, is The Excellent Curls, and that's the one that Ratner wrote. And he wrote the forward for, which was basically his, how I and Brett Ratner came together was because he adored uh, Last American Virgin. He loved that film. And he fell in love with my character and I am the person who uh, he based he like had a relationship he almost married this uh, actress um, because she looked like me which was insane I mean how, how movies can influence people right. so uh, it's a great story and I just think the more you know it, it, you know if we can hear about the actors lives and see you know not just the most famous but like the People like I was a working actress, you know, pretty much a, a big part of my life. Um, I started when I was 10, and I'm still acting today. So I think from my experiences, you can learn a lot. And, you know, especially not only people want to be actors, but I think diligence. So, like, if you want to go after something, I didn't have a privileged life, you know. I, I worked really hard, and I didn't give up. I think I'm, like, a stubborn person <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I actually had uh scotty schwartz on my show uh a couple a couple weeks ago oh that's so funny yeah it's all coming together yeah absolutely and um how was working with uh savage steve oh savage he is the sweetest 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 guy i love savage and we, i still see him occasionally uh we talk um he lives near me um, we, we've seen each other at all types of funny events. I think he even, I stopped in a parking lot on his way to buy Curtis's new book. That's like <laughs> how, how funny it is. Like, oh my gosh, Steve, how are you? Um, I wound up having, uh, doing a, um, Better Off Dead, uh, screening for a comedy sports event that, um, my son and daughter were involved in. And he came and did a Q&A with Elizabeth, uh, with E.G. Daly. Right. And uh, they just, uh, we see each other a lot. I, I see a lot of people from that film as, you know, friends. And I, I just think that, that says a lot, you know, that we actually still love to hang out together. And we have the same sense of humor. And Savage was a, just a dream director. He was just a dream. He was funny and he was very sweet. And he would, you know, like, 
he was like going, Diane, you know, do you think you would mind like maybe saying that line when when he walks over here and you could say like, I'm like so cute, like he's just the cutest guy, and you're like, oh my gosh, yes, of course, you know, I mean anything, he's he was just a, a sweetheart, and I think it, he was so young when he was directing too. I, I think he was 24 when he did, or 25 when he did Better Off Dead. Wow. That's really young, and all these actors are you know older and been you know doing it for years. So he was very respectful and always, um, he, he had his own sense of humor and he knew it was funny, but he always listened to the actors. He always allowed the actors to do their thing. He wasn't uh, like a helicopter director, like, it's got to be perfect, it's got to be right. right. He, he was very, he understood, like, he hired people and, that's, and they were going to do their job and he just sat back and watched and then... You know, if he, made, he needed to, like, switch it or, like, try something different. It was very, done in a very relaxed and very um, easy way. And that was very, that's good for actors because, you know, actors are uh, sensitive. And sometimes it's hard to get a, a you know, a critique. Um, you need the direction, but you don't want to be told how to do something. You know what I mean? It's a right. fine line. So I think for young people who want to be directors, come from your heart, you know, don't come from your uh, pickiness, just come from a place where you're you're saying, I would love to see this in the film, and I would love for that person to be able to do that. And I think they'll get very, you know, positive results. Yeah, and you also directed another one of your movies, How I Got Into College. I actually had uh, Corey Parker on a couple of weeks ago as well. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I would have loved to have talked to him. That is funny. Yeah, I had a great scene with Corey. That was really funny where I, I meant to call me mom, which is right. <laughs> so funny. Um, I love that film, actually. I love that character. I, I got to play uh, a, a girl, a young girl, you know, who's married to a much older man, and I forced uh, my stepson to call me mom. And maybe that's something that, uh, I mean, certainly I know um, – that happened in Villa Tess also, uh, where, you know, uh, there was the actress, I forgot uh, her name, but she was, uh, she played Missy, oh, she played Missy, and uh, Alex um, was had to, you know, that was his mom, and Keanu would be like, oh my gosh, you know, you have to call him mom, and it was, it was just a funny bit, um, but I think how I got to college happened first, is that, is, is that true? I think it did. Yeah, I think yeah, it came eight. 88, right? 89? 88, and, and Bill and Ted was 89. Yeah. So, but that, I just love that joke. I think that is just so funny when a young, when they, I mean, maybe not in real life, but I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah, I, we, um, when I had Corey on, I didn't really talk about the movie. I was too busy geeking out on another one of his movies, uh, Big Man on Campus. <laughs> Yeah, that's like a... We should all get together and just, we should have a, I, one of my dreams is to have an 80s party. Just invite all of these 80s people. Let's have a big party. We would have such a great time. And then people go around and interview them. And I just think that'd be really fun. Because the actor to act, that's what happens at these conventions. That's why they're so much fun. Because when, during the 80s when we were all working, we would go on an audition, but you'd never see the other person unless you got the job with them. Right. So there are actors and actresses that I've seen, and I love their work, and I respect their work, but I never got to work with them. For example, Jill Schulman. Love her. She's wonderful. So talented. We never...
never did a film together. Finally, we did a convention together with Suzanne Snyder and Amanda Wiss, and mm. we all bonded. We went, it was great. We just had the best time because we got to say, like, I loved you that film, and it was really fun, and what did you think when you worked with so-and-so, and we'd have, we both worked with Keanu, and, you know, like, we'd had, like, these experiences where we could share them, and it was just, it's just, I guess, like reminiscing, like you're doing, you know, going back in time and, and reminiscing and, and suddenly you find out, like, you know so many of the same people, you know, so. Right, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I highly recommend any of you who are listening to, to attend a convention at least once in your life. There are, there's like Comic-Cons, which are generally like, they're more commercial films. Um, there are horror, horror conventions, which, by the way, have the nicest people. They are so nice. Horror conventions, I would say, it's just people like to dress up, too. So the nicest people are at horror conventions. I, I'm always happy to go because people are genuinely so, so nice. Um, and then there are, like, uh, I guess, conventions for, um, like, collectors, sort yeah. of. Or, or very, um, there'd be older actors there that um, maybe you know people might remember from a long time ago. Um, so I mean, there's just all kinds of different kinds of conventions, but they are a blast, and it is it'll take you down memory lane. And it's something I have to say, almost it's almost like money can't buy. You cannot buy this experience. You will go there and you'll say, "Oh my gosh, this is my childhood." Like, or this I remember this person, you know. Yeah, because I've I've been to I mean I'm going to the New York one next month, and those are just those are just they're they're super big, very crowded. I totally recommend going to like the smaller ones, like the one in Rhode Island coming yeah. up. I've been to a couple ones, Connecticut, New England. They're great. Be- yeah, and it's there's you have plenty of room to like walk around and. And and even the people there, you can just you know you talk to them, you get a picture, and you have time to have a strike up, have a conversation. With them oh, and you're reminisce. Right. If it's too crowded, they, people don't have time. Yeah. I'm Comic Con. I did that once. Oh my gosh. Of course, it's totally insane. It's it's incredible. You're going to be so exhausted. Uh, but but it's a amazing experience. So much fun. Yeah, totally. Uh, so now with um, with Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves kind of working on a third Bill and Ted. You think there's a role for you? Oh, I hope. No, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I just did a screening of. Um, I was just in a screening with Alex and uh, Kim Labelle, Kimberly Labelle, uh, who is now called Kimberly Kate. She changed her name, and we did a. Uh, it was a Q and A at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica. And when we were there, people were asking Alex, like, what about the princesses? And he was into it, and the producer was there. Um, I know they would like to do it. I don't know if there's – I mean, I think they they got to see how everyone was excited that we were, you know, there. Um, but, again, remember, you know, we have to service the story. So if the story focuses and they don't have the princesses, well, that's one thing. I would say that if they do have any princesses – Yeah, to, to, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, hopefully they can get that make uh, made because yeah. that'd be that'd be incredible. Uh, so I want to work 
talk about a little bit about your TV work. Uh, one of my favorite shows is Charles in Charge. And one of my goals is to get as many stars or guest stars on my show as possible. I already have had uh, Jerry Levine, and you're my second. And uh, your episode was great. You, you know, oh, the Yugoslavian girl from, from Yugoslavia, and uh, it's like, took like this, and uh, it was so much fun. I loved playing this character. It was great uh, seducing, um, uh, what else, uh, I'm saying Chachi now, it's, um, so Scott, that's how I know him. Scott Baio. <laughs> um, Scott Baio, exactly, right? That's my generation. Um, it was yeah. great seducing him on the show. That was so much fun. And uh, and then my gosh, my the people who played my parents. Yeah, they were funny. Oh, uh, say it again. Yeah, they were really funny. <laughs> oh, they were so funny. And the guy who played my dad, I've, I can't think of his name right now, but he was in the producers, the movie The Producers. Oh yeah. And he played. Um, I guess the German soldier or something, but I mean, the history is just amazing to, you know, the experiences I was able to work with somebody um, like, you know, like him, which is amazing. So, um, yes, so much fun. It was, I, it was a really great experience for me because it was one of the few times that I actually got to act in front of a live audience. So, meaning that it's not like theater. I mean, theater you doing you're acting in front of a live audience. But in that case, it's very different when you have cameras and you have a live audience. Because we would shoot a scene, and then they'd say cut, and then the audience would be laughing and talking, and people would like there'd be someone talking to the audience saying, "Oh, well, now they just they just did this scene, but now they're going to do something else." And we'd be sort of prepping and thinking about what we're going to do, but people are watching us from the audience, want to say hi. So it's a very it's a very interesting experience when you perform, t- when, or I don't know if people still do this, maybe talk shows do, but when you perform in front of a live audience and you're acting, at least with it, maybe with the sitcom, you're, it's like you're preparing between when the commercials are supposed to be running. Very interesting. It was, it was, a, it was a different acting experience. Yeah, I, I loved it, but, it was, but it's in time. Like you, it's not like film where you shoot scenes they're all out of order, you, and you have time off between, and nobody's, you know, watching you between, or even in a play where you know, okay, I'm on stage, and when I'm done with my lines and my scene, then I leave, and nobody's watching me in between. It's sort of a, it's sort of like, you know, you're, you're being watched all the time. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. It's different. Yeah, and you, you played. An... I would do it again. That would be really fun. Right. And you... they... Do they even do shows like that anymore? I'm trying to think. It's a good question. I'm not sure now. Yeah. It seems like most of them are just single camera. Yeah, single camera. You know, or, or what do they do? They do three cameras now at the same time. Right. Yeah. They shoot everything with all the angles, which was so different. Again, when the '80s, you had you know one camera, one camera, and then you would do like the other second camera would do it. Uh, the pick up shots or they would, you know, it would be uh, other shots, but there was one camera for shooting and they have to edit it all together. <gasps> the old days. Yeah, exactly. The good old days. <laughs> now, yeah. you, you, you played another character there with, you know, another accent, which you, you, you nailed. So it must be pretty easy for you to uh, play these characters with accents. When did you, like, first, like, learn that you can, you know, have these accents? Um, 
I will have to say this. I never uh, was confident about my voice. And then I saw Meryl Streep in Sophie's Choice. And when I, first of all, the movie was amazing and it affected me. I loved the film. And perhaps it was the age I was, the time of my life when I saw it. But when I found out that she wasn't from Germany, I it just shocked. I think or Chuck, I don't know, but Germany or Czechoslovakia, and I was quite, I'm not sure now, retrospect, what she played. But when I found out that she wasn't, she was American and she had that accent, that blew me away. At that moment, I remember thinking, I want to do that. I want to do that. And my parents were German, and they spoke like this at home. They, they had their own accents, and they, they talked like this. So I was raised with another language being spoken in my home, so I experienced another culture at home. And when you are from another country, your body moves differently, your voice, your mouth moves differently. It's, it's completely different. And I was able to see the difference um, because then I go to school and all my friends would be, be talking like this because they're from Long Island. So, like, you know, I would go home, but, you know, they'd be talking like this. And I'd home, they'd be talking like this. And then I would do this, they'd be talking like this. So um, I, I could hear the difference, and that's what attracted me to it. And since then, I have done, I played French Girl, Better Off Dead. I played a... Uh, a, te- a girl from Texas in Dallas the early years, a Yugoslavian girl in Charles in Charge. I played English princess Bill and Ted. Um, I played... Oh, I, well, another film, Second Time Lucky, I played a, a French girl there, British, and then I, I played like a gangster girl from, from the 20s talking like this from New York. And uh, I don't know. I just, I fell in love with dialects. I think that's what it was. Mm, that's great. Uh, so this morning, I you know, wake up and I uh, turn on the TV and lo and behold, television's on. And that's a voice too. <laughs> oh my God. Like, oh, oh, I'm so glad to run up television. I have to tell you, this is so funny. Someone just sent a link to me and I, I have to find out where it was. They said to me, they were like, oh my gosh, Diane, I am so mad at this guy did a review of Terrorvision, did a terrible review of the film, and, you know, it was just the worst review ever, and didn't even know your name, and blah, 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 and I watched this review, and I was actually so excited that this guy reviewed it, because what he did was, he reviewed it like a contemporary, like a person who, like, if you just, like, you know, sometimes you watch something, and it's like coming from a, a point of view of somebody who's just seeing it as at face value. Right. And there are two things about it. One was, I've always wanted Terrorvision to be sort of on a mystery science theater show <laughs> where people were talking through it. Right. I've always wanted, but it could never be that way because the visuals, there are like these um, paintings of like, like it, it was these like naked women on the walls, like these paintings. And so we could never get a PG rating because the art direction, and that was, it was completely by mistake. They, it wasn't supposed to be this way, but the walls had all these pictures of uh, or, like naked women because it was supposed to be a, uh, an 80s pleasure palace or right. something. It was just, it was a joke. 
So what was happening is when the director, Ted Nikolai, wrote and directed this film, it was a parody of the 80s made in the 80s. It was making fun of the, you know, 80s look, the Cindy Lauper thing, the exercising thing. I mean, you name it, it's making fun of it. And when we did it, all of the actors knew this, and it was like a live-action cartoon. It was stylized. We knew it. We never took it seriously. But you couldn't. It was made. I mean, we all did it as a tongue-in-cheek experience. So when the guy reviewed it, he reviewed it sincerely, <laughs> which was brilliant. And I was like, oh, my God, this is brilliant. Like you said, oh, my gosh, the acting is so overacting. And the... Um, and look at those outfits, like, and look at that hair that's so, like, you know, retro, like, I mean, it was, just, I don't know, he was just talking about, like, how, um, uh, everything was, he was just making fun of everything, which was so funny because he didn't realize how smart we all were. Right. And then what, what made me, what I, what I love about this is I think for some reason, and you can tell me how you feel about this. Sometimes we think that things that happened in previous generations, they weren't that smart. They didn't get it. They didn't know that that was bad. Or, they did, or oh, people back then, they weren't as smart as us. But they were. <laughs> and they, that, I think that that's what makes it kind of funny, is that we look back sometimes at people and we think, or actors or you know, films or something, you see them and you go, oh, they didn't realize that, you know, it's funny to me now, but it wasn't funny to them. But it was funny to them, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, Charlie Chaplin doing all that physical humor, we might look and go, oh, you know, that was just the way they, they didn't have any other form of entertainment or that wasn't that funny. But people, you know, Charlie Chaplin would be like, no, I know it's funny, and I'm doing it purposely to make you laugh. Like, it's, it's, uh, it's just, it was, it just hit me, and I thought, I mean, I'd just like to know your opinion about it, too. Like, looking back at things, do you ever think, oh, like, they just didn't get it, you know? Yeah, there are, there are a lot of things, like, you take the Three Stooges, for example, you know, like, mm-hmm. most of the people just find that, you know, just, like, just stupid, but, I mean, they're, they're comedic geniuses. Exactly, exactly. Or Lucille Ball. Absolutely, I mean, yeah. oh, my God, this woman is a, you know, genius, and maybe today people have taken from something that she knows that they use it today, but, um, it is, it's so interesting. Or, or sometimes people see it today and go, oh, I've seen that. That person, you know, they didn't realize that, that was, they were the originator of it. Which is like, even when I say I have my curly hair started everything, it's like, people go, oh yeah, I shoot that curly hair. But I'm like, no, you don't understand. Nobody had curly hair. Like, this is like a whole different small game. Um, sort of like people who kickstart ideas and things. And a lot of people have done this, you know. I'm just talking about it because I was just an example, you know, it's funny. Yeah, absolutely, and just now that it seems like no one in Hollywood has an original idea anymore about anything. Oh, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I do think that there are new ideas. I just think that sometimes people write ideas that are ahead of their time, and they're not embraced yet because people don't understand them. One of the things I think really, really hard is, like, to, if you have a style or you look vision, and you see it a certain way, how do you get the rest of the world to see it your way? And it has to do with time. Like, for instance, um, Tina Fey and 
each polar. Today we can look and we can say, oh, there's, there's these two comedians and that's how that goes. And we know how they, we know their sense of humor and we understand it. But maybe at the beginning when they were starting off, people might have thought, well, they're being, you know, maybe they're being um, snarky, you know, or maybe their sense of humor isn't, uh, you know, there, there's a level, of, you know, why aren't they just being sweet and funny or, you know, goofy, physically funny? Like, there could have been expectations, and people didn't get that until after time, people started getting used to it and going, oh, wait, no, this is okay, I get it, I've been on this, and I understand it, and so, therefore, it's like we're teaching the world how to, you know, teach, you know that this kind of sense of humor works, or even... I mean, let's take an example like The Office, how you shoot, you know, people were shooting the, the show The Office with that camera was moving all over the place. And at first, you know, people might go, what's going on with the camera, man? What's right. happening with him? And he's like, you know, like, what's happening? And then you get used to, oh, it's stylized. So I do think that there's a lot of great things happening now, but I do think that there, a lot of them are coming out of the mix of media and expressing themselves through mixing the past and present. Like, only today can we mix our past and the present, you know, in, in entertainment. We could put it all together, you know, and I think that's going to be expressive of the time. Yeah, and that's, I don't know. Yeah, well, no, that, that's actually a great segue to my next question. Um, the Amityville murders, you were in the Amityville 2, you know, yeah. a few years ago, and then now it's... Uh, you get to play uh, Mrs. DeFeo, huh? Oh, my. Okay, so first I have to tell anybody who's listening to this, you are not going to see advertising for this or any information on this. You're only hearing it from me um, because I'm the only person. I asked them, I said, can I talk about this? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. But they've done nothing yet because they, we don't even know, like, I don't know what who's, you know, the film's being edited now. Like, I... I'm just giving little tidbits, and I'm not even giving everything because, you know, I know that there's a lot of stuff they want to talk about um, and that I've been told not to say. So, uh, but if you're hearing this, this is a real leak. Like, this is real. And basically what happened was I did Amityville to the possession in 1983, I think. And I played the daughter, and it was the movie that I did was based on the real murders, the DeFeo murders, but at the time, it was, um, they didn't want to pay the rights for the film, so what they did was they, they half the movie is about Amityville the House, and the other half is about an exorcism, and they changed the names, so it was the Montelli family, and I was the daughter in it, but basically it was based on the facts of, of the real murder, and for those of you who don't know, there was a guy who, in Amityville, uh, Long Island, New York, who murdered his family. He was 23, and he murdered his entire family. And then that is a true story in 1974. So when I did the film in 83, I played the daughter, and I'm from Long Island. I mean, I'm from, like, a town, a couple of towns away, and I had a connection with this character, and you'll have to see it to understand the level mm-hmm. of this film. It is the most realistic, it, uh, realistic, may I say, like, there's aspects of it that are very real, very disturbing, that you probably can't see in another film like you would not see today. It just goes to another level. And then, um, and so I, I did this film, and I was a part two. And to me, 
I thought, who is ever going to see this film? It's a part two. No one, like, people go to part, they go, one's my favorite. They don't even, sometimes they don't see two. And it turns out, of course, that people are now, they do sequel after sequel. Right. But Amityville 2 is, turns out that a lot of people love the film because it's got sort of a gritty realism to it. Or at least, again, another film that you don't forget. So years go by. I have my family. I raise them, blah, blah, blah. I'm never thinking about this could ever come back into my life. This, this July, um, or actually this June, uh, this director, and his name is Daniel Ferrans, contacts me and says, I would like you to play Louise DeFeo in this next Amityville film, film I'm doing. And actually, it, it was even crazier than that, which was it was just a great story. And I'm going to save the story for, for another interview, but like the future, um, maybe a year from now, whenever. But the, it, the way it went down was uh, like a, it was just meant to be. It was unbelievable. And I, I wound up playing this part, and I just, all I could tell you is it was the best, I think the best acting I've ever done in my life. It is such a great film. It is so exciting. It is scary. Um, I think audiences are going to go crazy. They're just going to go crazy. And there's so, there are some unbelievable surprises. There's some big surprises that you guys will love. So I'm just honored and thrilled. And I think it's, I think I'm one of the only people who's ever also been killed twice in the same film. I don't know if <laughs> that's even a thing. But um, maybe, or the same story, but now I'm playing the mother. You know, before I was playing the daughter, now I'm playing the mother, so, and based off the real story and the real names. So I was playing Louise DeFeo. I'm very excited. You guys are going to flip out. Yeah. It's be great. But again, stay in contact with me because I'm going to be, like, I put out some pictures that I can of me, but, you know, these are things you, that are not, they're not in the press. And they're definitely not in the press now. And I don't know when they're going to start advertising it, but I'll, I'll have these tidbits that other people want, so... You can go on Diane Franklin eighty, um, with Diane Franklin eighty on Twitter or Instagram. I'm Diane to be with you, D I A N E T O B E Y O U, and you can stay connected. And I'll, I've been once in a while, I'll put a picture out that I think you know I can, or I'll you know I'll check with the director and say, can I put this plot out? So. We'll see. We'll see. You just read in my mind that was going to be my next question, just where people can find you on social media. But you nailed it all. So, Dan, uh, Diane, thank you so much for, for a few minutes. Oh, thank, gosh, thank you. I do have to say one more thing. Oh, absolutely. Um, on Facebook, go to Diane Franklin Fan. That's mine because my Facebook uh, got filled up. And I also, every time like I have a convention, I will put it all over these these places. And that's the only way you can find out. So that's what I'm telling you guys because the only way people know about me is through podcasts like podcasts like this, or um, then following me in social media, and I, I'll tell you about um, where I'm going to be and events, and that's it. So uh, at least for now, until Amityville hits, and then who knows what'll happen. So, um, but thank you so much. You've let me talk so much, and hope I didn't talk your ear off. Oh, absolutely not. It was it was my pleasure oh. having you. Oh. So, Special thanks to Diane for joining us today. You can follow Diane on Twitter at DianeFranklin80. 
You can follow me on Twitter at the first Noah19. Be sure to like the page with Living My Youth on Facebook. Rate and review the show on iTunes. Uh, special thanks to everyone for listening. I can't do it without you guys. And uh, join us again on the next episode where we, we live my youth. And Gary, this one's for you. Changes. We're back.